today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Self-love is the catalyst for loving the world and the things of this world, which in turn, listen, in turn leads to loving and all add lusting for the fleshly desires that the world has to offer. And when that happens, it empties us. I'll say it again, it cannibalizes us. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. The thought of self-love cannibalizing and emptying us is frightening. Pastor J.D. emphasizes that self-love leads to love of this world and in turn love of the fleshly desires. All of these hinder our pursuit of godliness and our ability to love others and love God. We need to fill ourselves with the things of God so that there is less room for self and the things of this world. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of this broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with his continuing study, Obstacles to Godliness. The writer of Hebrews says that God chastises those whom he loves. Oh, how I wish there was another way for God to demonstrate his love for me other than chastising me. But think about that, right? As a parent, I mean, can you imagine you're in a restaurant and the table next to you, the kids are throwing food at each other and the parents are doing absolutely nothing about it. What would happen if you got up from your table and walked over to their kids and gave them the spanking they deserve? (laughs) That would be a problem. Why? Because they're not your kids. It's the parent who does it. And that's, see, if somebody got up from the table and there were other adults at the table, I promise you I would know which one was the parent because it would be the one that spanked the kid. Or at least you hope they would spank the kid. (laughs) Why? Because they love the kid. They love them enough to speak the truth in love, because of love. I like how one commentator illustrated it. He says, we are drawn to a crackling fire in a fireplace on a cold winter night because it provides both light and warmth. And such is the perfect combination of truth and love. Truth without love is like the light of a fire without warmth. Love without truth is like the heat of a fire without light. Truth without love makes people cold in the light. Love without truth makes people stumble in the dark. Thus, we need both. Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. In other words, I know you're my friend and I know you love me if you're willing to wound me and jeopardize my relationship with you. And is that not what self-love is? 
What comes packaged with self-love is self-preservation. And why is it that we don't want to tell people the truth, that which they need to hear, not that which they want to hear, but we don't want to tell them what they need to hear because we're afraid that they'll unfriend us on Facebook and unfollow us on Twitter and unsubscribe to us on YouTube. We're afraid that they're not going to like us. And that's self-love. That's a love of self that says, I love myself more than I love you. And is that not the antithesis of the great commandment? Love the Lord God with all of your heart, soul, mind, body, strength, all of your being, and love your neighbor as you already love yourself. I always get a kick out of people that try to wiggle out of that. Well, I don't love my neighbor because I really don't love myself. (laughs) Really? Are you kidding me? You love you. That's not the problem. (laughs) The reason why you're unable to love your neighbor as yourself is because you love yourself too much, so much so you can't love your neighbor. That's self-love. Now here comes an Apostle Paul in your life, in my life, and they speak the truth. They dare to speak the truth because they love you. See, I know my wife loves me, because she'll tell me the truth. <laughs> she'll look at me and say something like, when are you going to start exercising? <laughs> I know, I know. We had a brother in the fellowship that uh, made me some delicious, I think it was prime rib. And my wife had somebody else take it, so I wouldn't... Prime rib, man. Are you kidding me? But, but here's the thing. Think about it the opposite side of the table. What, what if my wife said to every single one of you, hey, I want you to uh, make bacon, greasy, artery-hardening bacon for my husband every day, and I want you to give him all of this unhealthy food, lots of sugar. <laughs> Does that mean she loves me? No, I think she's trying to get rid of me. It's kind of like, you know, how much was that life insurance policy you had, honey? (laughs) That means she loves me. And faithful are the wounds of a friend. They can be trusted. That's a true friend, by the way. And incidentally, if you don't have anybody in your life, then you need to ask the Lord, this, might, this is one of those dangerous prayers that requires a bit of a disclosure, but you might want to ask the Lord, Lord, send me an Apostle Paul in my life. Somebody who loves me that much to speak the truth to me. I need it. I don't like it. I don't want it. But listen, I would venture to say we have too many of the other kinds of so-called friends that will only tell me what I want to hear. And that's deceitful. I'm learning that initially the wounds of a friend are faithful. I might initially resent it in my self-love. What's wounded? My pride. Think about that. Pride? Really? What you've wounded is my pride. You've wounded my overestimation of my own self-importance. How dare you say that to me? Do you know who I am? My wife shared a story one time about a flight attendant 
in first class, and she was, you know, serving one of the passengers, and he looked up at her and he said, don't you know who I am? To which she responded, you know, I don't. And then she flipped back the curtains and said to the entire airplane, does anybody know who this guy is? (laughs) That's that's wounding somebody's pride, isn't it? (laughs) That's self-love, isn't it? You're my enemy if you're only going to tell me what I want to hear. You're going to give me a kiss and a hug. You're going to flatter me. And only tell me what I want to hear because you want to preserve yourself and our relationship. Because you want me to like you. How would it be if you went into a doctor and a doctor did this? He discovers in that biopsy that you have cancer, but he doesn't want you, he doesn't want to tell you that because he wants you to like him and he doesn't want to be the bearer of bad news. What kind of a doctor is that? It's a doctor who shouldn't be practicing. That's what kind of a doctor that is. Well, how much more on the things that matter for eternity? How much more important, how much more serious is it when it comes to the matters of eternity? In my own personal walk with the Lord, I'm realizing, I'm learning that I will be wounded by the truth to the degree in which I love myself. If I've died to myself, the wounding doesn't wound nearly as much, sometimes not at all. You'll forgive the morbid nature in which I say this, but dead men don't get hurt. If I die to myself, I'm dead to self. You can't wound self because self is already dead. I've already died to self. Self is easily offended and wounded when I hear the truth about myself proportionate to my love of self. And I'll take it a step further and suggest that absent dying to self and dying to love of self, reconciliation with others is not likely to happen. Absent that death to self. And I like how one commentator summed it up said the Corinthian Christians played the victim before Paul. Out of a godly necessity, he was firm with them on previous occasions. Now they probably claim to be restricted by the hurt Paul caused them. They probably said something like, we would love to reconcile with you, Paul, but the pain you caused us restricts us. We just can't get over it. But the real problem was, that the Corinthian Christians were restricted by their own affections. It wasn't that Paul did not love them enough, which was their claim as victims. Paul was unloving. It was that they loved too much. Their own affections restricted them. What did they love too much? First, they loved the world too much. And Paul will deal with that love in the following verses, as we'll soon see. But they also loved themselves too much and refused to really deal with their selfish and worldly attitudes towards Paul. By the way, everything here, just superimpose it onto the template of your marriage relationship. And you'll change your marriage forever. It'll never be the same. 
It'll never be the same. Self-love is the enemy of marriage. Self-love leads to divorce. I deserve better. With young people in the courtship, I know they don't call that anymore. I talked about my, how my wife and I courted for two years to my, our kids. Your mom and I courted for two years. I said, what's courted? But when we court, when we're young, it's like, oh, is, is she the right one? That's the wrong question. The right question is, am I the right one? Am I the right one? That's a game changer. That changes the whole complexion of the marriage relationship. Well, let's move on. This ties into our second obstacle to godliness, and it's that of loving the world too much. In verse 14, Paul says, don't be yoked with unbelievers. Then he rhetorically asks a series of questions. What fellowship does righteousness have with wickedness? Or what communion does light have with darkness? And in verse 15, he continues rhetorically asking, what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? You see where he's going with this, right? And in verse 16, he then quotes from Ezekiel 37 saying, we're the temple of a living God. And God lives with us and walks amongst us as his people. What is Paul saying here? What Paul is saying here is that just as we have the propensity to love self too much, so too do we have the propensity to love the world too much. Love the world and the things of this world. We get too attached to the things of this world. That is a huge obstacle to living a godly Christian life. Now, it's important to understand that Paul is absolutely not saying that we as Christians are never to associate with the non-Christian world. We're to be salt and light. What he is saying is that we're to be in the world, but not of the world, in the sense that we're not unduly influenced by the things of the world. We're in the world, and we will be in the world, and we will be in these bodies of flesh, this side of heaven, which we're going to see here in a moment, but we're never to become of the world. I like how one commentator explained it. This speaks especially to the issue of influence. Paul is not suggesting that Christians never associate with unbelievers. He makes this clear in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. The principle is that we are to be in the world, but not of the world, like, listen, a ship should be in the water, but water shouldn't be in the ship. If the world is influencing us, it is clear we are unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And this unequal yoke or ungodly influence may come through a book, a movie, a television show, a magazine, or even through worldly Christian friends. Most Christians are far too indiscriminate about the things they allow to influence their minds and lives. Perhaps we need look no further as to why it is that the church of Jesus Christ is in the condition that it's in today. 
I don't say that to beat anybody up. I only say it because you got to know that it grieves the heart of God. God desires for us to live an abundant, godly life. And oh, how much we rob ourselves of when we get too friendly and cozy with the world and the things of the world. It cannibalizes us spiritually. Well, this brings us to our last one, and it's that of loving fleshly desires too much. In verse 17, Paul quotes Isaiah 52, 11, saying, Come out and be separate and touch no unclean thing so that the Lord will receive you. And in verse 18, he refers to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 9, saying, God will be a father to them, and they in turn will become his sons and daughters. Now, what Paul says here at the end of the chapter is interesting, and this for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that he deals with what I see as the core issue. The core issue, and I'll explain what I mean by that. The core issue is this. Self-love is the catalyst for loving the world and the things of this world, which in turn, listen, in turn leads to loving, and I'll add lusting, for the fleshly desires that the world has to offer. And when that happens, it empties us. I'll say it again, it cannibalizes us. It empties us and cannibalizes us of our love for God, and very interesting, God's people too. God's people too. Do you realize that your love for God will be demonstrated by your love for God's people? It's really, I think, next to impossible to love God and not love God's people. And is that not what the law was? The first five commandments are about loving God, and the second five commandments about loving your neighbor? And that fulfills the law? And very interesting, by the way, I don't want to get too out there, but the cross, it's vertical, the first five commandments, and horizontal, the second five commandments. Now, you can't have the second five until you have the first, because otherwise that, that second part of the cross is not going to be able to hang on anything unless it hangs on the first five. In other words, my love for you is predicated upon my love for God. This is why it's very hard for me to understand how it is that a Christian cannot love Israel. That, that's so hard for me to wrap my mind around. How is it possible for someone to love God and not love Israel, God's chosen people? That's, I can't understand that. But that's another topic for another time. Alan Redpath of this wrote, it is not a question simply of trying to empty your heart and life of every worldly desire. What an awful impossibility. 
It is rather opening your heart wide to all the love of God in Christ and letting that love just sweep through you and exercise its expulsive power till your heart is filled with love. Now I want to close with an illustration and I really wanted to think this one through because whenever I've used this illustration I've always botched it terribly. It's a food illustration, which are my favorite illustrations when they're about food. So let's say that you, by way of illustration, invite me over to your home for dinner. And prior to coming over, I'm, I'm driving by a McDonald's. By the way, just for the record, I haven't eaten a McDonald's in like two years. Not, not, nothing wrong with that. I just, my wife won't let me because she wants me to live. But anyway, so um, <laughs> I drive by and the temptation is just too great. And so I swing in and I go through the drive through man, and I just binge on like five Big Macs. It's just an illustration, so just work with me on this, okay? And then I show up at your home for dinner, and you're, you've prepared this prime rib. Ha, oh, oh. And all of the trappings, and I mean, magnificent, magnificent. And I walk in. How hungry am I? I just consumed five gut bombs. I am full. I'm not hungry at all. And how I wish I were, because I would much rather have the prime rib and everything you've made than those big, I can have Big Macs anytime I want. If I've stuffed myself with the things of this world, I won't hunger for the things of God. If I'm full to overflowing of the things of this world, there's no hungering and thirsting for the things of God. And by the way, it works both ways, does it not? If Listen, let, let's flip that around. I come to your home and I have just had the most, thank you so much, you just, that was the most delicious prime rib I've ever eaten in my life. Thank you. And oh, that dessert, cheesecake, how'd you know? Don't buy me cheesecake, please, whatever you do. You're going to get me in trouble. And I mean, I eat to my heart's content. And on the way home, I drive by McDonald's. (laughs) There's no temptation. Are you kidding me? Just the thought of it makes me sick. I have no desire whatsoever for that. I know I'm painting Big Macs as like, you know, of the devil. They might be, but (laughs) I'm not tempted. Why? Because I have just had the most delicious meal I could ever have. And it goes both ways. And that's how it works. That's how it works. Thanks for listening today to In Spirit and Truth. We hope Pastor J.D. Farag's message from the book of 2 Corinthians has blessed you and that you continue to seek God's hand in your life. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor J.D., simply visit our website at inspiritandtruthradio.com and click on Listen at the top of the page. You'll also find a link to subscribe to our podcast or you can download messages to share with your family and friends. 
Did you know you can also take in spirit and truth with you wherever you go? It's true. Using your Apple or Android smartphone, download our mobile app and have biblically sound messages available right at your fingertips. Links to the app are right on our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. We'd also like to encourage you to find and join a local church community if you haven't already. Having a group of believers to support you and learn from God with you is a great encouragement. You too will have the chance to bless others with your own unique gifts and talents. If you're in the Kaneohe area, we would joyfully welcome you into our fellowship here at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. Our weekly services focus on studying God's Word and worshiping our Creator. Service times and directions can be found by going to inspiritandtruthradio.com and clicking on Calvary Chapel Kaneohe at the bottom of the page. That's all we have for you today here on In Spirit and Truth. Be sure to join us again as Pastor J.D. digs deeper into the book of 2 Corinthians. Keeping me right with you